Welcome to the Forensic Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Fiona Tuck. I'm a nutritional medicine practitioner and a qualified skin therapist for over 25 years. The Forensic Nutritionist Podcast takes an investigative approach into all things nutrition, gut health and skin, using qualified experts to bring you information that you can trust. We are all unique. The information presented herein is not intended to diagnose, to treat or cure disease. Please seek professional medical guidance prior to modifying any diet, exercise or lifestyle program. Let us begin. On the podcast today, we have Jessica Simonis. Now, Jessica has a wealth of experience in nutritional medicine and herbs and has a special interest in skin health. Jessica is currently working at the Psoriasis and Eczema Clinic in Frankston, Victoria, where she has trained or where she was trained by Professor Michael Tyrant in the field of integrative dermatology. Jessica, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us this morning. It's my pleasure, Fiona. Thank you for having me. Now, as you know, my background is also nutritional medicine and skin, and it really is exciting for me to talk to you this morning because what really excites me is that we are now seeing dermatologists taking more of an integrative approach when it comes to skin health. And this is where I think we can really start to see some incredible transformations in people's skin. So today we are talking about, in particular, psoriasis. And I'm, I'm very keen to hear what you have to say. But before we do get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you became involved in treating skin conditions such as psoriasis? Yeah, absolutely. So my journey into treating and specialising in skin conditions wasn't straightforward. It wasn't something that I had initially set out to do. In fact, um, my interest in holistic medicine and nutritional medicine originally came from personal health battle with chronic fatigue syndrome. So I was um, lucky enough to um, have great success with this as as a practitioner and also helping to treat myself. So that's initially what sparked my interest in this field of medicine and um, interestingly when it came to skin initially as a practitioner I would actually avoid it like um, the plague I found it incredibly difficult to treat Uh, sorry fascinating actually because it's one that you know I love to treat but we've all got our little little areas don't we it's very true but I think um, in hindsight now having the knowledge that I do um, I feel that we were inequipped initially to deal with skin and it is certainly something in a field that I feel that needs further education yes. and specialisation. Um, with holistic and nutritional medicine, of course, our focus tends to be on preventative medicine, which is fantastic and that's what gives you the long-term results and the long-term maintenance. But it can be a bit of a slow burn. And when you're treating and dealing with skin patients, they're certainly in a need for that immediate result. They need immediate relief. And what I found initially in my training is that I wasn't able to offer them um, that when I was treating them. So, of course, if you can't help your patients, you want to avoid treating it. Um, In saying that, um, luckily for me, I, I like a challenge. And not knowing and not getting the results that I was wanting to have spurred me on to to do that further training 
and I was very lucky to meet Professor Michael Turand, who is actually a naturopath. Um, he's also a nutritionist and TCM practitioner, but he's a triple professor of dermatology. So that's wow. as you can imagine, very, very rare for a naturopath to wow. get that certification. Yes. So he has dedicated his life to specialise in dermatology. Um, and as you mentioned, I was lucky enough to take on training um, to specialise in skin. And now if I see a psoriasis patient, I'll do a little fist pump because I know that I can help them. And that's a great feeling. That's fantastic. And I, I do agree with you when we're looking at, say, different um, practitioners, you know, naturopathy or nutritional medicine or even skin therapists or dermatologists, we all look at treating these things very differently. And I think when we can actually integrate it, that's when yes. we get the most amazing results. So Absolutely. when we're looking at psoriasis, can you explain to us, because I know it's very you know, in-depth and lots of different types of psoriasis, but a general overview of, of what actually psoriasis is. Yes, yeah, so psoriasis, uh, we all know it as a, as a skin disease. That's what we refer to it as. Um, but I feel this is a less accurate way to describe it. I prefer to describe it as a systemic inflammatory disease, which predominantly presents in the skin. Um, but it can also present in the nails and joints. And now we also understand that it has this systemic effect on other systems, such as the cardiovascular system. So there's a higher risk of cardiovascular or metabolic disorders as well. So while we tend to focus on it as a skin condition, yes, it predominantly presents there, but some patients might not even have a skin presentation. They may just have the nails involved or they may just have psoriatic arthritis. So just referring it to, um, to it as a skin condition, I think does it a bit of a, a disservice. Um, but essentially what it is, so it is, a, um, it is an immunological disease, it has a genetic background, it's autoimmune in nature, and essentially what's happening is there is a rapid accumulation of skin cells which the body is unable to keep up with. So it leads to a thickening of the skin and a frequent shedding of the skin. So in terms of presentation, as you mentioned, there's several different types of psoriasis. It has many different faces, um, but the most common of these presentations is plaque psoriasis. And this typically comes across as a, a thick, dry, scaly plaque, um, offering silvery flakes. Um, but as you mentioned, it can it look very different on different people. So it's very hard to describe it as just one um, type or one presentation. Mm. And do you find when patients are coming into the clinic, it's really the, the, it's really the skin type of psoriasis or the, the manifestation on the skin that you are dealing with? Or, or do you see a, a variety of different types? Yes. So we do see it all. But again, because patients, um, if they did have psoriatic nails only, um, for instance, they often don't understand that that's what it is. Um, same with psoriatic arthritis, they might think it's rheumatoid or osteo. So there's a lot of misdiagnosis around these conditions, but a lot of people are familiar with the skin version of psoriasis. So that's often what they are coming to get treated. So predominantly, yes, we do see the skin presentation. In most cases, it is the plaque psoriasis that we see, but we do see all different types. And you know, we mentioned it was autoimmune. When people come for psoriasis treatment, do you find, you know, what sort of age 
do you find there that it does tend to present or can it be at any age? It can be at any age. Most commonly we're seeing um, patients come in after they've had it for 10 to 20 years. Some people wow. don't. Um, obviously they've been through a journey most of the time before they present to our clinic. They've tried many other treatments that have failed them. So it can take them a while before they actually come and treat it in this way. Um, but most of the time the age group would be anywhere between the teen years um, to 70 or 80 years. Sometimes you have a childhood onset, which isn't um, as common um, as the others. And sometimes they might be 80 years old and they've just had their first patch and they just don't quite understand what's going on because they've never had a skin condition in their life. So psoriasis is one of those conditions that can appear at any age. Um, often what determines when it's going to appear and how severe it is going to appear um, comes back to family history. Um, some people have no recollection of uh, psoriasis being in the family and they tend to be the ones that will uh, have it appear later on in life. And then you have those with childhood onset and they tend to have a stronger predisposition and a stronger family history. Um, so they're more likely to have the early onset but also more likely to have more complications with it as well. So this really gives us an idea by going through family history, it really gives us an idea of what we're likely to see in terms of their presentation and the patterns. Yeah, so when, you know, when somebody has got psoriasis, what are some of, you know, we sort of, there may be a genetic influence as well, but what are some of, are there actual, you know, are there common triggers that can actually bring out the psoriasis? And I guess my point being, somebody could have psoriasis and, and it may be kept at bay. Are there, are there things mm -hmm. that could trigger an onset of psoriasis? Absolutely. So genes never work alone, particularly with chronic skin diseases or chronic conditions. Um, they have to interact with our environment. So we are a product of our genes plus our environment. So in terms of triggers, again, patients have different susceptibility to triggers. So there are very common triggers and I'll go through those in a minute. But each person is unique in their sensitivity to that trigger. So for some person, they might not need a lot to, to flare psoriasis. It could be a bad day at work or it could be, you know, they had pizza last night or it could be the change in the seasons. It doesn't take much for that person. And that is a reflection of their overall genetic constitution and they tend to be more vulnerable to, to illness and other factors as well. Then you have the other end of the scale where you have quite a resilient constitution and it takes a lot for them <clears throat> to trigger, excuse me, to trigger their psoriasis. So, you know, you might be talking someone in their 60s, 70s, they've gone their whole life with perfect health, they have their first sign of psoriasis, and usually it's after a really significant event in their life. So they could have gone through retirement or um, often you see farmers, you know, going through the stresses that they go through, and it takes a significant amount of stress or, you know, dietary factors, illness, whatever it might be, to bring out their psoriasis. So everyone's very different, even if there is a set list of triggers, of how they respond to those triggers. But in terms of... Um, specific triggers. In the literature, we know a lot about a specific types. So we know that alcohol has a very strong relationship to psoriasis. We know that stress can trigger psoriasis. Um, we are, thankfully, um, as you would agree, being a nutritionist, understanding that diet and nutrition plays a role in psoriasis as well. We know um, that illness and, and infection plays a massive role in psoriasis. And 
actually infection and bacterial infection and their toxins is the specialty that we work on in this clinic. Um, and a lot of the research Professor Tarrant done, uh, has done has uncovered um, a very strong relationship between the toxic, uh, toxins produced by bacteria um, in the lesions of those with psoriasis. So that's a very interesting trigger as well. Um, but yes, we do deal a lot with, um, with dietary triggers, stress as a trigger, um, infection as a trigger, um, and trauma, of course. So there's a known uh, phenomenon called the Kovna phenomenon, which triggers psoriasis too. So that's a sensitivity to injury of the skin. And when you're talking about the, the bacteria and the, the toxins, would that be relating to what's topically on the skin so more to do with almost like the skin microbiome yes that plays a very very important role but it actually starts systemically so what we're finding is it tends to be strep as the main driver streptococci and yep. often it's strep throat that will be um, the initiating factor um, it tends to come along with a particular presentation which is guttate psoriasis uh, however it can then progress and become a chronic issue which will then turn into plaque psoriasis so what you can do when you're speaking to patients and, and questioning them is find out about their history of sore throats and tonsillitis um, they've actually done research to show that removing tonsils can help to clear different types of psoriasis so it's actually starting from the respiratory system and a systemic issue but what happens is these um, particular lymphocytes have skin homing mechanisms so they actually find their way into the skin um, and they can hang around there for a long time and this can trigger and initiate um, further exacerbations of psoriasis and when they test the lesion they can actually find these bacteria and toxins in the lesion um, they're actually called superantigens um, and what these superantigens do is they're incredibly manipulative. So they set up home and they manipulate that local immune system. And that brings in the topical microbiome where it allows the topical microbes that live on our skin to then go in deeper. And it sets up this full cycle of, um, you know, chronic inflammation of the skin. So it's very fascinating. That really is fascinating, actually. And, um, yeah, just it just again just shows you that systemic link and how everything mm. is is really interconnected. Um, and you know, and I think probably something to mention as well, just because somebody has had a sore throat <laughs> um, before anyone starts to panic. Um, no, that, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's not for everyone. Again, we come back to that susceptibility, how vulnerable you are to that as a trigger. And that's a genetic um, you know, that's a genetic yeah. predisposition. And I have to say, most of the patients, um, psoriasis patients, are some of the healthiest people I ever see in clinic. And this is some, coming from someone who used to specialise in all sorts of conditions. I couldn't believe how healthy they were, you know, after investigating gut issues and, um, you know, stress issues, et cetera, et cetera. Most of the time, they're very, very resilient. Um, and it's just the psoriasis that's, that's flared for them at that given time. So it often catches them by surprise. So they are generally quite resilient, but there's normally something going on underneath that we have to research um, to figure out what, what, what has flared this in that person. Mm, so interesting. And how common is psoriasis? Do you see many people coming into the clinic with um, psoriasis on the skin, with the lesions on the skin? Yeah, so it's certainly not an uncommon condition. 
being that we specialise in, in skin conditions, we see at least 10 to 20 patients a day and it forms about half of our patient base. So we see mainly psoriasis and eczema. So yes, we treat it um, daily. Um, in terms of how common it is, it affects up to about 1.5 million Australians. It's about two to 3% of the total population. And then the different types of psoriasis all have their own um, frequency and presentation as well. So plaque psoriasis affects approximately 80% of all psoriasis patients. And then guttate would come in as the next most common down to uh, types such as palmar plantar, pustular psoriasis, erythrodermic psoriasis. They're a lot less common, about two to 3% of the population. So um, yeah, so it's certainly something we treat very often and it's not an uncommon condition, even though there's a real lack of public awareness and understanding about this condition and what it is. Yeah, I think, you know, there, there is that um, lack of awareness or, or, you know, I just had a conversation with a friend at the weekend actually saying, you know, she's got a friend and she was really struggling with, with psoriasis. Mm. And I think what we're probably all really interested to know, um, Jessica, is when it comes to treating psoriasis, what's your first steps in treating it and how effective is treatment? And obviously it would be different for, for everyone, but how long would it take to see results? Yeah, so in terms of how quick it is, it can be different for everyone, but luckily we do have this fantastic protocol where you can almost expect a certain speed of, um, of healing with psoriasis. So that's what I love about what we do is that it's not a hit and miss type protocol. So with, uh, for instance, plaque psoriasis, we'd be expecting to see changes in the skin within seven days. So when it comes to natural medicine, that's quite a, a fast response, yeah. which, is, which is excellent. Um, but in terms of clearing of the skin with the protocols that we follow, um, typically you notice, as I said, improvements within seven to 10 days, and that will progress over time. And typically by the 12-week mark is where we see um, the best results um, with the skin. In some cases, that can be complete clearing. In other cases, that could be, um, you know, significant reduction. Um, and in other cases, it might mean, it, it really depends on the case. I've seen severe cases completely clear and I've seen very stubborn mild cases as well. But in most cases, you get a significant clearing within about that 12-week mark. And a lot of these results are coming back to um, yes, we treat internally. That's very, very important because, of, as we mentioned, we're dealing with triggers and what's inciting the flare of the skin. That tends to have a slower burn in terms of the, the results that we find, but it's the topical treatments that we're using that are getting that, that fast result for these patients. And when you are looking at topical treatments, what type of treatments would you be looking at? So we compound in clinic, so we are basically have over 40 different products that we can use, but there's a specific um, concentrate that we use on the majority of our psoriasis patients. So this is made up of nutritionals, um, herbal bioactives in a base of plant oils, and it's very, very concentrated. So it's been independently studied in Europe, um, Australia, many international countries, and what they've found is that the antioxidant potency of this mix is very, very high. Um, and it also has antimicrobial benefits. Now, talking about what I've been talking about in regards to superantigens and the microbial imbalance in the skin, I believe this is contributing a lot to those effective results. 
Um, and it also has anti-inflammatory benefits. So we combine this topical ointment with, of course, um, a, a topical gel or wash, um, as well as oral medication. The oral medication is also nutritional and herbal, but this is working more so on the, the triggers for that person, whether it might be anxiety or um, infection and so forth. Um, but yes, this, this topical treatment to get down to the roots of where the issue is in the skin, we need to loosen up that thickness of the skin. Otherwise, of course, it will just sit on top. So we often utilise things like salicylic acid and urea to try and break down that cement in the skin, um, smooth it out, reduce the thickness, and then the ointment will go on top. And, and this one, um, as I said, is very, very powerful. Right. And is that a, when you say ointment, is that a cream or an oil? So it's, a, it's an ointment, it's more oil-based um, than water-based. And um, yeah, it's a concentrate of a lot of herbal bioactive ingredients. So this is, I guess, the genius of Professor Michael Tarrant, who, who started off experimenting with all sorts of things um, back in the 80s, trying to work out what would work and, and came across this particular blend. And um, of course, over the years, he's, he's perfected it, but we will um, compound it depending on what we're seeing in front of us. So if someone has psoriasis on the Face, we're not going to give them the strongest treatment we have of course the face as you know it's, it's like a sponge and very sensitive to what you put on it um, you can have psoriasis in the genital genitals as well of course you can apply a different um, treatment to there that you would say on the elbows so when I say compound we're very much looking at where it is on the body how thick it is how reactive it is um, to what we're actually going to use in the end so it's very very unique to that individual that's just fantastic. So it's all natural medicine, really, that you are using. Yes, it is. It is. And, um, you know, salicylic acid, urea, these are still natural medicines. Yeah, they are concentrated. Um, so I guess it is the blend of, um, you know, certain natural ingredients and certain concentrated natural ingredients. But, yes, overall we are, we are completely steroid-free, no antibiotics in the clinic, and it is all based on natural therapies. Wow. And when you are prescribing the medicine, if you like, the herbal, that would be herbal as well. And I'm presuming that you blend that up, depend, as you said, depending on what the triggers are for your, your client. Yes, yes. So uh, we do have tablets and we do have specific formulations um, if the triggers are really well known. Um, so if we suspect infection, we do have a particular formulation, which is herbal, um, if it's stress, etc, uh, etc. Et and we also do have compounding um, herbal medicine too, as well for, you know, individual needs. So we do a little bit of both. Um, but I guess what um, what is so great is that a lot of the time, once you understand what is driving that psoriasis and you um, treat that accordingly with specific herbs, it tends to respond very similar, similarly in, in most patients, um, which is quite amazing as a natural health practitioner. It's not normally that predictable, but psoriasis tends to follow a relatively predictable pattern. Interesting. And are there any particular standout herbs that you found to be particular heroes in the treatment of psoriasis? Yeah, so from an internal perspective, um, I think given what I knew before I undertook this study, I guess they're, they're relatively um, well-known herbs, herbs that maybe I wouldn't have thought to use back then, but now that I understand different drivers that I, I wouldn't 
you know, look past anymore. But a lot of the antimicrobial herbs, for instance, hydrastis, um, wormwood, berberus, those sorts of herbs, um, thyme as well, um, those sorts of herbs are fantastic and they're bioactives as well. So thymol, um, terpenforol, these things can be great as a topical, but also um, as with thyme and internal as well. So you can use them from both, um, um, both avenues, I guess. So those antimicrobial herbs are fantastic. Antioxidant-based herbs are great. We use a lot of grapeseed extract. Um, we use a little bit of Panax ginseng. Um, we also work on the nervous system, of course, so you may be using some calendula or bupleurum or um, lemon balm, these sorts of things are fantastic as well. So the, the herbs that if you are a, a naturopath or a herbalist that you'd be very, very familiar with, but not what you would um, think to use initially. So, um, yeah, very simple herbs, herbs that you have access to, but I guess it's getting that right combination for the right person that will determine your results. Absolutely. And I think when it comes to herbal medicine, it's so important to see somebody that is an expert in that area because you can have different interactions with herbs and medications, etc. So not something that yeah. people want to be experimenting yeah. with on their own. Yeah. Definitely, you do need to have that professional advice. And I think something to, um, I guess, explain this further is um, if you are choosing a nerve medication, um, as you may know, there are different herbs that can work on uh, stress and anxiety, for instance, but some promote very different responses. So there are a lot of um, energetics to herbs and some are cooling and calming and some incite a more active mind or um, more energy, for example, and you get the wrong stress herb for the wrong person and you get a terrible result. Yes. And one of, these, one of these examples um, is turmeric, for example. So we all know turmeric as a, an anti-inflammatory and it would be, I guess, it would make a lot of sense to use that internally with psoriasis. But you use high doses of turmeric on the wrong type of psoriasis such as postular psoriasis, and you will get a terrible result. Um, and that is because it's quite heating and drying as an energetic, and therefore you can actually incite further redness and inflammation of the skin. So it's really, yes, it might be an anti-inflammatory um, anti or a stress management herb, but it doesn't mean it's right for that person. And that's why you really need to understand what you're doing with herbs. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you for mentioning that. When it comes to diet um, mm -hmm. is there a specific protocol that you follow for your psoriasis patients are there any particular foods that you find are triggers in psoriasis yeah absolutely we do um, diet forms a big part of our treatment and uh, in fact professor michael Trent has been following this protocol since the early 80s um, despite significant backlash from conventional dermatologist, as yeah. you can imagine. He's had to overcome quite a few hurdles in his time. Um, but generally, you know, what we know as nutritionists and naturopaths is you want to keep it relatively anti-inflammatory. I like to think about the diet as cooling and calming. Um, and if you go back through the history, if you go right back to Ayurvedic medicine, um, traditional Chinese medicine, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, there was a study into psoriasis um, by Lucius Volke who who did a study on a 1,000 psoriasis patients. And what he found was the diet needed to be 
understimulating, basically bland and boring. And the reason behind that is because most of the full tasting, full bodied foods tend to be quite stimulating, mm. both to the immune system as well as the nervous system. So I guess we like to, well, I like to think about it as a cooling and calming diet. So when I say overstimulating, you're thinking, um, of course, things like caffeine, um, you know, alcohol, spicy foods, things we know tend to generate a little bit of a, um, a stimulating response in our bodies. Um, and then, of course, um, a lot of these types of foods will also contain histamine in them. Um, mm. And histamine is, of course, a, a pro-inflammatory mediator. And it tends to be in a lot of these foods. So in your processed meats, in your tomatoes and your tomato pastes, um, in your cheese and fermented foods. And again, a lot of us think, okay, so rice is, you know, might have a link to gut, so I should have more good bacteria. So I'm going to drink lots of kombucha. But what we find is that actually can be a flare in some psoriasis patients. So it's, um, it's really having a, a very plain, simple, low inflammatory diet low in meats, certainly low in processed meats, um, high in, in green vegetables, salad green vegetables. We focus a lot on greens in our diet um, and fresh meats and fish, uh, nothing processed or canned and, you know, nuts, seeds, pretty much a wholesome diet, but just not too stimulating and not too heating. Mm. And so you do um, sort of look at more of a, a low histamine diet as well or, or, or avoiding the really high histamine type foods. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. We're not too strict on the histamines, but yes, we do avoid the overly stimulating ones um, as well as heating and drying foods such as, um, as we mentioned, alcohol, which we know there is that link with um, caffeine um, and those sorts of things. And of course, lots of water is important as well. Yeah. It's interesting you say that I've got a podcast coming up soon on histamine actually and histamine intolerance and, and how um, histamine can affect skin, etc. Because yeah. I think in the actual professional skincare industry, we're only now just beginning, um, you know, people that don't have the nutritional background to understand that that can actually play a role in, in certain inflammatory skin conditions. So um, I think it's a really good point that you made there. Yes, it's a great topic. That'll be a really interesting podcast um, for sure. And what I love is that um, if you go back in history and, and you talk about Ayurvedic medical systems or TCM medical systems, it's like they knew about histamine all those years ago. Um, again, if you think of fish and high fish diets, you think anti-inflammatory with fish oils, etc. Um, people would normally think, that would be a good thing, have lots of that in the diet for psoriasis, but fish and particularly canned fish can be full of histamine, one of the highest sources of histamine that you get. And it can flare psoriasis. And we actually never prescribe fish oils in our clinic for that very reason, a trial and error discovery, again, from Professor Michael Turan. But Ayurveda, um, Ayurvedic medicine, states not to have fish for skin conditions. So again, it's like they knew it all those years ago. So it's a fascinating topic. I'm a huge fan of traditional Chinese medicine and um, I know, you know a lot of people are like, well, show me the evidence, show me the evidence. But, um, you know, I always say be guided by evidence but don't be blinded by it because a lot of, as you've said, what happens in Chinese medicine and what's recommended makes total sense to me and um, it's almost like it was an intuitive thing that they, they knew. Um, yeah. 
and it, it does all, all link in. So, you're, yeah, I totally agree with you. I'm a massive fan of traditional Chinese Chinese medicine. And, um, yeah, there's probably a place for fish oil and um, there's probably a place not for. Not for but um, interesting that you find it, it flares up um, or can flare up psoriasis because that was yeah. also... Absolutely. And again, it depends on the, the stage and the presentation of their psoriasis. But yes, it's not something we, we find in those early acute phases that we would need to use. Um, but yes, it is um, a fascinating, fascinating way to look at things. And I certainly, even with modern science and new papers, I can't make sense of it until I can understand it from an AVP point of view these days. So it really does help you understand um, health and, and the communication between our genetics and our environment. I, I find it fascinating. Absolutely. You know, I know a lot of people would say, oh, well, go and have, um, you know, tin tuna and tomatoes and avocado for lunch and, oh, they're all good skin foods. And, of course, yes. we know that they're also the, the histamine-type foods as well that, that may not be beneficial. So it may be good for some but not for certain people. So it's exactly. everyone's Spot different. On. Yep. Spot on, yeah. So with the diet, um, it's so it's really about the whole food and the greens mm. and, and sort of reducing the, the stimulants and the, I get the inflammatory foods, as you would call them. Yes, that's the main, um, yeah, they're the main points with, with diet and a big focus, as you said, on, on the healthy foods and, and the green rich vegetables, not too many of the starchy ones, but we really just get fresh meats and fish um, lots of green vegetables, lots of fibrous foods. You want healthy gut, healthy skin. And when it comes to the gut with psoriasis, how much do you think that the gut does play a role? Because, you know, we, we're talking about, I guess, autoimmune link. Um, do you find that there's much of a correlation? Yeah, so the gut, I do believe, definitely plays a role. And we know with with new research that there are um, differences between psoriasis patients and healthy patients in terms of the gut microbiome. So they may have a lesser diversity or increased intestinal permeability. We don't understand a lot about what's going on and why, whether the condition starts this or this starts the condition, mm. et cetera, et cetera. But we do know that there's a link. Um, and as I said earlier, it, it is quite interesting as psoriasis patients often have no gut symptoms. And coming mm. from the generalist practitioner who treated so many gut disorders, I was ready to sink my teeth into this, but no one was having gut symptoms. And the reason behind this is, well, they don't have a digestive disorder as such, but yeah. a lot of them might have that intestinal permeability. And this often does not correlate with the gut symptoms that we, we are familiar with. So they don't often have bloating or wind or diarrhea or constipation they have a silent digestive disease and that's really more to do with with the barrier function of their gut and interestingly it's their skin barrier function that's also not working very well and these are essentially the walls that protect our inside immune system from that outside environment so not only can whatever's on the outside of our skin such as pollution or bacteria fungi um, etc now communicate with our immune system through this leaky skin 
but it can also do it through the gut as well, through the foods that we're eating. So we're really exposing our immune system to this hyperstimulation. So, um, yes, as I was saying, there's definitely a, um, an issue with the gut of psoriasis patients, but not in terms of digestive symptoms as such. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because from my own experience when I've, I've seen patients, I've found exactly the same thing. When you're commonly mm. treating skin, they, I can't really think of one person as a standout that had gut issues. Mm. Um, and again, it was that, that, that silent or possible um, increased gut permeability and we'd always treat that mm. but it wasn't that what a lot of people would expect the bloating or the um pain or the wind or the the diarrhea or um irritable bowel um i have to agree that it, it's quite often that's not what they're they're coming for it's actually the skin and it's um it's interesting you say that because not many people, um, I normally find people that treat the gut will say, or all the skin will say, well, they have gut symptoms. And it's like, oh, it's interesting mm -hmm. because I haven't often seen that and I haven't actually. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, that's um, exactly right. And, you know, given we see 10 to 20 patients a day, I can tell you, <laughs> I can certainly tell you that it's very, very rare. Um, yeah. and, and if they do, I think it is pretty much unrelated to their skin. It's just a different vulnerability. But that's what I mean when I say psoriasis patients in other areas of their health are generally really resilient, really often only their skin. And we do take a very, very thorough case history, I can tell you. So coming from um, a generalist practitioner where you would take a case history and you could be there for two hours just asking questions about their health um, to now being able to do an appointment in half an hour for me, that's a miracle. I always go over time with my patients. Um, but it just tells you that really a lot of what is symptomatic for these patients is, is skin. Um, the only other system that may be involved um, symptomatically with these patients tends to be nervous system or maybe immune system related. Um, but often, often that's how it goes, which is fascinating again. Yeah. Well, I guess the gut and the immune system are all sort of interrelated as well, but there may not be any, you know, if you if your immune system's low, you don't notice it in your gut. Do you, do you know what I mean? So Exactly, exactly. It's just not making that connection to the gut because you don't have that gut-based symptoms. Um, but absolutely, the gut is involved um, in, um, I guess, in the way of the immune system, the way it cross-talks to the immune system. So it's kind of, it is that inside out, outside in um, type approach that psoriasis needs. You do need to treat it from the skin perspective as well because you have a skin barrier dysfunction, but also from the inside out because of that gut barrier dysfunction. So both are really important. And um, to be honest, I, I don't think we would have the same success if we just focused on one of those avenues. Yeah. Well, I, you know, you're talking to the absolute converted here because it's what I've been saying for years. Um, you've got to treat the two. And that's why it's so wonderful to chat to you, Jessica, to see that, you know, you've got dermatologists that are also integrative and, and taking that approach. And then, of course, you're getting such fabulous results with debilitating skin conditions such as psoriasis and um, also I know you treat eczema which is a huge thing for so many people 
Um, and then maybe maybe that's one we can talk about another time because I know there's a lot of people with eczema that are, are suffering. When it comes to psoriasis, I know you mentioned it earlier a little bit. You touched on the fact that psoriasis is diverse and it can affect um, the body in so many different ways. Do you find that people presenting with psoriasis will then, you know, how common is it or how much at risk are they of developing comorbidities? You know, I think you touched on cardiovascular disease earlier. Yeah. Yeah, so again, the type of psoriasis and the stage of life um, it's affecting the patient can um, predetermine risk for other comorbidities, um, so other associated disorders. We know that there is a definite link with cardiovascular, cardiometabolic disease, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it's great that this is now filtering down through the different fields and the dermatologists are starting to recognise these links to other systemic diseases. So essentially testing someone's blood pressure should be a standard procedure um, when you are treating skin, for instance, particularly psoriasis. Um, so we do know that there it really does affect these other systems. But in terms of how common this is, it tends to happen, of course, more in later life. So they may present with psoriasis in their 20s, but it's not till their 40s and 50s that they will start to present with the high blood pressure and then the high cholesterol and then the um, increased visceral adiposity and all these sorts of things. So they, it's like, a, like the atopic march is a psoriatic march, so it tends to develop slowly over time and progress to the different systems so only most of the time you're only seeing this in later life as you normally would with cardiovascular disease they're just at a higher risk of developing it so if you're talking preventative medicine of course you're going to get in early you're going to test yeah. them for their blood pressure you're going to make sure that we're, you're monitoring and addressing that if it does become an issue you need to explain it to the patient that weight does matter and diet does matter and, and they are all linked. Um, so it's a really important part. You can't just focus on the skin. You've got to look at a, a holistic picture. Um, but cardiovascular disease is just one of them. Another one um, is mood disorders, so anxiety and depression. Now, the research is linking potentially the, the inflammatory link to these disorders right. that we also know that there are um, similar inflammatory drivers behind both of these illnesses. But again, there's that cause and effect. It's, it's unsure if it's, um, you know, because of the psoriasis itself or they are more prone to these disorders. We're not entirely sure what's going on with that. But of course, with psoriasis, they are much more at risk of mood disorders. And I think having that understanding when that patient walks in of what they're going through um, and making sure that you do question how they are going with their mental health because it is so important for their recovery to address these factors as well. And when we're talking about these diseases, I, I mean, to me, it makes sense that there would be some inflammatory link there. Um, when you say mood disorders, is that because, are you talking more because they've got the psoriasis and it's affecting their mood or it's more of a systemic um, issue? So not entirely sure at this point with the research. Um, there's, there's indications for both, um, but there's no final answer on this at the moment. So, I mean, we know that there is a significant impact on, on quality of life, for example. So psoriasis is second 
only to cancer when it comes to impact or quality of life. So if that wow. highlights just how severe psoriasis can affect a patient's, um, you know, enjoyment of life, ability to have relationships with people, ability to go and get a job and to, to be able to turn up to work, um, it's significant. So it, it really does play a role, um, you know, in, in that way. And of course, that's going to affect mood. Um, it's going to cause anxiety and depression. But as I said, there is research that is linking inflammatory um, drivers as well. So I think you could have a bit of both. Hmm. And that sort of leads me on then to ask about vitamin deficiencies when we're looking at treating psoriasis. Is that something mm -hmm. you test for? You know, there, there seems to be a suggestion that there's a link between vit low vitamin D and psoriasis, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. Vitamin D is something that comes up frequently. So that is something that we, we test for. Um, sometimes it depends, again, on the person's lifestyle and skin. So some people are more at risk um, of vitamin D deficiency um, when they have psoriasis. So we don't test everyone as a blanket one-off. We yep. wait and see how things go. We, we determine their risk for being low in vitamin D to begin with. A lot of them have been pre-tested as well. So it just depends on the person. But quite frequently vitamin D is the one that we're going to look into. And that's because it plays such an important role in regulating the immune system, the microbial defence of the skin, et cetera, et cetera. So vitamin D is certainly something we test for and certainly something that comes up as deficient quite frequently. So we know that there is that definite link between vitamin D and psoriasis, but we also know there's a definite link um, between your environment psoriasis. So we know that the prevalence of psoriasis decreases the further, sorry, increases the further you get away from um, the equator. So often we'll have a patient that's moved from WA to Melbourne and all of a sudden their psoriasis is flaring. I had a patient who would work in Fiji for four weeks out of the year and while he was there, his skin was completely clear whether he ate rubbish or not. And then he came back and he would um, flare up significantly. So environment and um, UV exposure and vitamin D, they all definitely play a role. And this has been recognised, you know, for thousands of years, the, the involvement of the environment and psoriasis. And you're saying that UV exposure can help? Yes. Yes, yep. yes it certainly does. So sun, salt, um, ocean swimming tends to be a great therapy for psoriasis. So we often recommend, you know, having a swim in the ocean, getting some sun on your skin, obviously within safe measures. Um, so this is an important part for psoriasis if, if, you, if you can. Um, of course, we know that phototherapy, UV therapy is standard convention in conventional medicine and can help some people. It doesn't help everyone though. Um, so there is that link, that definite link between UV, vitamin D and psoriasis. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, so many interesting things that you've brought up Jessica, and, and so much to think about. But I think the exciting thing is that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And if we, we can look at the topical and the internal, um, mm -hmm. look at the diet, look at introducing natural medicine, if you like, to actually help with that, then, then there is some relief there or quite significant relief, which is, is very exciting for those people that do have psoriasis or are struggling what would you what would you recommend to them so if somebody was in say sydney or wa and mm -hmm. um because i know you're based in melbourne 
is there any way they can contact you? Yes, absolutely. So we we treat um, interstate and internationally. So we're, we're known overseas as well. We have affiliate clinics throughout Australia and overseas as well. So we have um, clinics run by dermatologists in Vietnam. Um, we're located, of course, we have two clinics in Melbourne and we, we treat via online consultation, Skype and FaceTime, so we can see pretty much anyone. However, there are affiliate um, practices throughout Australia as well. So we do have one in WA, pretty much in most states, including New Zealand, who have undertaken training with us. So um, pretty much anyone, no matter where you are, you will be able to, to get help. Fantastic. And for any skin professionals that are, are listening, do you provide training to, with your protocols for them to then affiliate with you? Yes, we do. Um, now, in terms of um, the, the methods we used to use, it was all in-house with Professor Tarrant, but of course yes. now he does a lot of travel with his three professorships, so he's often not in Australia anymore. So we're currently moving to an online um, format. Um, we're, we're sort of halfway through this at the moment. So there certainly will be an opportunity um, in the near future. Um, so I'm more than happy for um, practitioners who are interested in further training to contact me and I'll um, certainly get back to them when we, when we have more. Fantastic. And how can people contact you or, or the clinic? Can you share your web details and Instagram if you've got one? Yes, of course. So we are, well, you can always contact us by phone. Um, so we're 03 5337. Um, email is a good way to contact us. So info at psoriasisexma.com.au. Our website is www.psoriasisexma.com.au. And we do have an Instagram handle, but I'm sorry, I didn't pre-prepare what that was. I can't remember. <laughs> Okay, we'll find it. I'll, I'll put it up when I, I put your post. I'll, I'll find it. <laughs> okay, thank you. I'm not so good with that side of things. But anyway, you can certainly contact us on phone or email and um, we've got lovely receptions. Happy to help you. And I'll, I will, I'll put that Instagram link up when I, when I post uh, the podcast so um, everyone can, can find that there as well. Jessica, you're a, a wealth of information and um, it was so interesting to talk to you today and really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with us. Thank you, Fiona. Absolute pleasure anytime.